welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I'm delighted to bring you two conversations today with three guests. So our first discussion features Danielle Huber, Senior Marketing Manager for CMI Orchards, and Diane Scalisi, Director of Omnichannel Marketing for Driscoll's. Our second conversation will be with Ashley Pigo, E-Commerce Marketing Manager for RPE. And I reached out to them because I'm really interested in how produce suppliers participate and could participate in the shopper-facing channels of their retail partners. So to be just a little clearer on what exactly I'm talking about with that, examples would be a grocer's website, app, social media, blogs, recipes, in-store radio and magazines, signage. It could be the emails they send out, text messages, push notifications. And in all of those, of course, there are different opportunities for suppliers. This topic came to mind for me because I just keep seeing headline after headline after headline about grocers launching retail media networks, whether they're doing it in-house or whether they're partnering with somebody else. You see a lot about the dollars that are being spent in retail media networks and projections for coming years. Now, here's the thing. I do indeed realize that retail media networks are generally built for CPGs, but I just think there's a huge opportunity for retailers to get more fresh suppliers into those channels because of the role that fresh food plays in bringing people into the store and because of the contribution fresh food makes to profit. And of course, we know that produce is a big player in both of those. So... Thank you for indulging me with that unusually long introduction, and we'll throw it right over now to my conversation with Diane Scalisi of Driscoll's and Danielle Huber of CMI Orchards. So as I was just listing and probably just scratching the surface there of some of the the shopper-facing channels that retailers have, I was curious how you guys approach prioritizing where you want to put investment, um, priority on collaborating, if if maybe some folks don't require an investment. I guess it depends on the retailer. So Danielle, I'll have you go first. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always for us a moving target. Um, each retailer uh, has kind of their own individual way of looking at things and how they like to speak to their consumer. So we kind of follow their lead when we're listening to their pitch or, or you know, what the end game actually is. So um, looking at kind of past ROIs is a big thing for us. What have we done before? Maybe they they want to try something new in the produce department that worked really well on the CPG side and they want to, you know, they want us to try to be the first one to introduce that into the produce department. Um, that stuff's really exciting to us. We have used third parties um, for a lot of this stuff before retailers started doing it on their own. So we have some um, experience or knowledge on what works well and what doesn't. So all of that kind of comes into play. Um, You know, prioritizing it would just be what works best for the specific retailer that we're working and uh, working with and then what their goals are as far as the consumer side and and what that ROI might look like. That makes sense. And how about you, Diane? Well, our our commercial team at Driscoll's has a little bit of a mantra, and that is uh, fish where the fish are. So that is to say, you know, we we build, we put our effort into building relationships with retail customers who will have the best reach for current and future berry consumers. 
And it's really the same principle at play in choosing the retail media networks where we want to invest in and participate. It's who has the best opportunities to reach those current and future berry consumers. Um, and, and uh, you know, there's, there's also a really big opportunity when you are choosing retail media networks to participate with of, you know, who's going to offer the most first party data. Uh, I think every brand wants to have access to that first party data. The the two pieces for us that we're most interested in are, you know, audience data. Um, who's going to offer us the biggest opportunity to really segment and build out audiences that we want to, you know, get laser focused on and spending our dollars to reach and to influence. And then that other piece is the kind of the performance data coming out of any campaign or any tax tactics that we run is we want to know beyond click-through rates, beyond impressions, even, you know, beyond uh, ad exposed sales to things that are truly incremental. And that is, you know, what, what happened only because we invested and wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah, that's a really good point, Diane, looking at the the end and and what that last the final picture looks like and and where was the wind and I mean I'm sure it's the same as berries as it is with apples getting that return back to the grower and and making sure that it's a smart spin not just fluff exactly it's already excellent to be able to hear from both of you on this because already you guys have mentioned two two areas I hadn't even thought of which is your goals for investing not only about brand awareness not even just about driving sales but data and getting to know the consumer better too, it seems like is a big opportunity through this. Yeah, I think, you know, data is one of the marketer's most prized possessions or or tools (laughs) to work with. And I think so many of the things that we do as marketers are um, aimed at understanding our consumer better and how can we serve them better with, with product but as a brand too, how can we show up to make their experience better, to to offer them things that are going to win their loyalty? Yeah. I was going to say, I just love that perspective because I think a lot of folks, and especially who don't work in marketing, think of marketing as sort of a one-way street, right? Versus <laughs> what's coming back to you being a huge part of sort of that, that feedback loop. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And I'm curious too, in participating in some of these different channels, because obviously there's there's a range of sort of the the tech involved and, and how long these have been available and all those sorts of things, thinking about everything from being able to partner and do some in-store signage or, you know, have a feature in the magazine or contribute recipes for the website. I know that some of those things as recently that I've seen as, you know, a, a year or two ago, sometimes retailers will say, hey, you're you're doing an ad with us here. We've got the digital coupon here. Let's also do X and Y and Z. And it's not necessarily separately paid. What are you guys seeing on sort of a, a landscape basis on opportunities that are paid, opportunities that might be able to be worked out as part of kind of the overall partnership? Yeah, I think for us, it's um, those kind of ad hoc activities is 
how I guess I'll refer to them um, and how, you know, what past performance has been if we're doing, you know, a display contest, for example, um, what, what can we do to drive those sales other than just be in store? And I think we've all realized that, um, especially since COVID and, and people, you know, increasing their online shopping and, and their digital engagement as a whole, um, those things are important. And in some cases, we're finding that they're more important than the in-store stuff. Stores really want to keep their floors clean. They don't have maybe the staff to keep things merchandised. Um, you know, we get all the display bins that we need to get to the store itself, but they might not make it out on the floor. So then do we need to consider um, hiring a third party to come in and help set up those displays? Um, you know, with the digital side, we're able to see the things happen in real time. And to Diane's point earlier, that ROI and, and that performance data that we get back from, from um, those engagements are, is priceless because you don't necessarily get that from in-store. Sure, sales might lift, but is it because of that display? Is it because of that email? Is it because of, you know, the signage? Um, it's all, it all comes into play. And I think uh, having those additional activities that are generally offered when we do a promotion with a retailer are are really important. Yeah, I, I would add to um, what Danielle just said. Um, I think over the past three years, the omni-channel shopper has become really a critical piece of retailers' business. Um, a, a stat that is really striking, uh, I think 88% of sales still occur in store. So that's, of course, that's the lion's share, but it's that 12% that all every retail is, retailer is buying for. It's super important to win the, the loyalty and win the trips of that omni-channel shopper. Um, so even though, you know, that 12% 12, 12 of sales is, is digital, uh, it's a much bigger percentage of folks who do some, they, you know, they dabble with online shopping as part of their routine. And so I think that's where the opportunities really come from for suppliers. It's um, helping, it, it's being in there, not, you know, not just to buy opportunities to reach shoppers, but it's how do we as suppliers help the retailer win at, at getting that shopper, getting the trips to their store? I think produce is, is positioned um, really uniquely. I don't think there's a full understanding yet on the supplier part of how critical produce, uh, uh, what role we play in driving the trips, not just in store. I think they know that produce drives trips, trips in store, but it's also the online trips. Yeah, Absolutely. I know when you when we talk to uh, just my everyday conversations with people, and maybe you guys have experienced the same um, you know, I hear, oh, I don't use Instacart because I don't trust whomever to pick out my produce. Or I tried online shopping once for pickup and I thought I was getting three tomatoes, but I ended up getting three tomatoes on a vine. So I ended up with 15 tomatoes or whatever it is. There's always, um, there's a little bit of disconnect or just they're scared to use an, a, a different shopper than themselves, especially when it comes to produce. Well, and to your point, Danielle, I would imagine that when with your guys' help, right, like retailers can sort of establish themselves as more trusted than maybe that third party, because of course, that's that's the the hard part about some of these third party delivery services is I know there's been 
research done that folks start identifying the third party as who they have the relationship <laughs> with rather than the retail sometimes, right? Yeah. And so that's that it, it does, it serves so many purposes, I think, right? Which you guys have talked about awareness driving sales and then also learn continually learning more about those shoppers and everything from what features matter to them to you know how they conduct the shop. Diane, when you mention the vast majority of transactions still occur in store, but that shopper journey, to your point, a lot of the times it includes all those online touch points, even if that's not where the actual purchase happens, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I was curious too, I know on the CPG side, it's expected for a lot of those companies to participate in some of these different opportunities in, in the shopper facing channels is, has that been the case for, for grocery or, you know, for produce, is it changing as, as some of these retail media networks get established or or what do you all see in that regard? Yes. I think this is an area of opportunity, um, for, for produce suppliers to, um, kind of set expectations a little bit better. We we don't have the deep pockets uh, of, of our CPG counterparts in center store, um, but yet we play that critical role for the retailers, dot, you know, their dot-com expression. So I think there needs to be an ongoing evolution of how do uh, produce suppliers fit in? What are the tactics that we can do? Make you know, maybe there's discussions of different types of pricing structures because it's not it's really not a one size fits all. Um, and so I think that's that's part of our ongoing conversations with customers and um, not always not always an easy conversation to have. Yeah, I 100% agree with everything Diane said. Um, that's definitely a struggle for us as well. And um, it's hard to communicate that because you want to be able to do all of the things that the CPG you know, companies can do and, and do. Um, and it's exciting and we want to try all of the things, but when it comes down to it, yeah, I, I agree. Our pockets just aren't deep enough yet. <laughs> I do find it super interesting because again, you just, you think about the role of produce for the store as a whole and these retail media networks, obviously they're, they're another revenue stream for the retailer, which is important. But you also think, man, if, if that's going to be your face to the shopper in all these different places, you know, fresh is important to your shopper. So you want those folks to be there. So that's I appreciate you all sharing kind of how how you approach that, because I think it's something that's that's important, you know, not just for produce suppliers, but I think it's important for retailers, too. Ashley, I would add one other thing in in that. We've found that for most retailers, so, you know, the uh, the contact that our day-to-day business has, has been with the buyer or with the category manager, and it's a different set of, of folks who run the media, um, and there's not always communication between the media team at a retailer and the produce team, the buyer, the category manager, and so we found that it's really critical to actually as the brand come in and facilitate uh, communication between the two different players, the two different teams on the retailer side, uh, you can't take for granted that that's, that's already happening. 
That I yeah, we've had that same experience. And in fact, a lot of our buyers now are just they just tell us do not have any communication with them without me being CC'd or me being in the know because I have been bitten by that before. Like, oh yeah, we want to do that, we do it, and then maybe it, the buyer wasn't looped in. Um, especially like on our side, I don't know if Diane's business is the same, but we have like an, a sales account manager that would be doing most of the the day to day discussions with the retailer and the buyer. And, um, you know, then it kind of the baton gets hand off to marketing um, and then we might be working with their own brand team and, and what that looks like. And, you know, we think it's great, but not everybody on their side um, maybe were looped in or that loop didn't get closed. And that I have been bitten by that before, unfortunately. Or I don't know if you've had this experience. We um, before, you know, retailers kind of started having their own media channels and their own way of doing things, we worked with a third party. So we, when I'm kind of testing the waters and I want to see how an activity would go, um, like maybe I did a targeted, a targeted ad with, um, you know, a retailer and we had one variety that we're pushing and I just wanted to test the waters and see how it went. So I went ahead and did it, but um, didn't necessarily tell the retailer I was doing it because I didn't know how it would go, but I just kind of said like, you know, available here. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm getting an email that's like, what did you do? I'm out of product. You didn't tell me this. And I was like, well, I didn't know if it would actually work or not. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> we're talking years ago, but, you know, I'm just like, I don't know if this is, you know, worth it or not. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just going to test the waters and see what I can get away, get away with for, you know, a week and see what happens. But turns out it, it worked really well. And, and then I should have, you know looped in that person <laughs> like you got to tell me when you're doing that stuff okay <laughs> sorry I didn't even know if it would work <laughs> well and that's that's a great point that there's 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 been a lot of test and learn in this environment in recent years mm -hmm. and there continues to be a lot of test and learn even as we go ahead it sounds like Oh, yeah. And I think every time you do an activity or every time you do something, it changes. Um, there's, you know, different things you can do, different um, approaches, different ways. I mean, even, you know, again, back to Instacart for an example, I, I don't think I've had the same account contact for longer than three months at a time. And then they're always updating and it's all really, really cool updates and different ways of doing it. But it's way different from when we started back in 2019. So I feel like just when I think I'm starting to get it and I understand the whole process now, you know, something else has changed and, and they're doing something different. So being really, really well-versed and communicating with all of these platforms um, is really important because it's just ever-changing and growing and it's super exciting, but it is it definitely takes a lot of time to keep up to date and up to speed. Well, and I'm glad that you you started us on this, this direction, Diane, of part of the important thing for produce suppliers here, it sounds like, is really sort of not independently, but establishing communication with a whole different department of your customer, basically being those marketing folks, because, and I've, I've observed some of the same in terms of that connectivity. There's, there's quite a variety from retailer to retailer on whether those folks are even aware of each other or interact <laughs> meaningfully, you know, um, on an ongoing basis. Some, some do, and there's, they, they know who to point you to and those sorts of things. And then others say, 
uh, I'm not involved with that. You you can reach out to them separately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I'm curious also, how have you all seen these opportunities as a whole evolve in even the last couple years during COVID? I imagine people were trying new things to to bring people in or, or reach people in different ways with folks kind of running through the stores uh, during the pandemic and all that sort of thing. Diane, what, what changes, if any, have you observed? I think um, there's so there's a lot of competition in the retail media network space. So, you know, there are many retailers who are investing in RMNs and um, and so they constantly introduce new tactics um, and then also new ways to measure and and the quality of data is really evolving. And so that's that's um, I think a benefit to the supplier is that there is so much competition. And then not just competition, you know, between retailers, but also, you know, as Danielle has mentioned, the Instacarts, the ships, the uh, their shopper engagement platforms like Ibotta, and they all want um, a, a piece of the pie as well. And they're offering ways to engage with shoppers um, in really targeted and specific ways. And I think that's super important for for suppliers like us in produce who have limited dollars is to get as targeted as specific as we can. And for me, that's a really uh, big advantage of, of all of this competition in the spaces. They are evolving to meet that need in, in a better way. Yeah, I agree. And I think they're um, starting to understand too that produce works way differently than any other department within the store. Um, you know, they might come from Doritos or what Frito Lay, Coke, Pepsi, and and they're just like, well, it's just as simple. This is what you do, and and you know, explaining to them like, uh, my product might not be in every single. Yes, there are apples in in most grocery stores, but they're not my apples. Or you know, like understanding those little caveats that um, when you are dealing with people who are not retailer director or retailer specific, um, and those those other third party companies, and and kind of educating them, it. It's definitely a learning curve, I think, too. Well, I imagine even seasonality being another talking point that folks who are used to just CPGs, like, what, what do you mean you don't want 12 <laughs> months a year, right? If, if, well, especially now, of course, you you guys, Driscoll's Berries, you know, see my apples, you guys are available year round. But obviously, there's lots of produce items where, no, 12 months really doesn't make sense for me, right? Which would be totally different than you know, if, if I'm trying to promote Cheetos, right? Right. I miss seasonality. I really do. <laughs> Although I still love cherry season. It might be stressful and, and super hot and heavy, but, you know, it's it's only there for a certain amount of time. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it just now, drives excitement. You know, the, the seasonality component. So for, for a brand that is, um, you know, our, our strategies to be available 365 days a year with all four berries. Um, But that said, there is seasonality in the other options that consumers have available to them and how they consume things can really change depending on the season. So usage occasions um, and how they're pairing foods. Uh, And and that that can actually be a really big opportunity for, for brands that both on both sides of the equation. If you have something 365 days a year, 
the usage varies, the the compliments vary. And I, I think that's a lot of um, room for creativity and for collaborations and um, and even maybe the tactics that are most appropriate during different times of the year. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Well, and speaking of that, I'm curious, and and you all can assess how deep you want to go on on examples here, right? But I'm just curious because like I, I mentioned those different channels at the top, and I'm just sure that there's ways to get so specific, like Diane, you mentioned different pairings for different seasons. Uh, what are some creative ways that you all have seen on how to really reach that shopper not just with the product, but meal inspiration or kind of, you know, helping push them down that, that, that purchase journey uh, funnel. I think I mixed the metaphors there, but. (laughs) I have, well, I have two in mind that I, um, you know, they, when I heard about them, I was like, and I haven't tried them yet, but they're, you know, new ways come up all the time. But I think the two that I'm just most astonished by are one is um, using a third party that, you know, most retailers have like a loyalty card membership. So they're able to track purchases. You can actually purchase the data um, through third parties of someone's credit card purchases. So being able to say like, Ashley bought this at the grocery store or spent this much money and now she's getting gas at this gas station. He's putting that same credit card into the gas station that has a screen. Um, and then you'll be hit with a very specific commercial or recipe or, you know, name your, your, you know, whatever we're showing you, but it's all based on what credit card you used at that gas station. Um, a little bit scary, but I was like, <laughs> wow, just, you know, those chips, they have so much information in them. Um, and then the other one that I really want to try, but we haven't had a chance to yet, is the in-store beacon technology. Um, you're able to send push notifications to shoppers at the point of purchase. So whether they're you determine, are they two rows away from the produce department? Are they 30 feet from your display? Um, you know, whatever you decide that 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 distance is, um, you're able to use this beacon technology to immediately send them a push notification on their phone. Uh, super fun to try. Again, I just, I think that would really just creep people out a little bit if they're like, how do they know how close I am to this product? <laughs> but I do want to see it in action. And I, I do want to see, you know, what, what people's reactions are to that. Those are the two that, the two new ways that I've, or newer ways that I've, um, that have surprised me, I guess. But I haven't used either of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that basket affinity data is is really powerful. Um, seeing what's what's alongside your product um, in in the basket, and and I think that's for us um, paved the way for for some interesting brand collaborations. Um, we did one with with a, a yogurt brand um, last year because yogurt and berries are are really you know a popular co-consumption moment. And, um, and, and that's been, uh, I think a successful partnership. Um, I think it's also so fun to ha- have the agility and the nimbleness of these, um, digital, you know, retail media networks, uh, to seize trends, um, social media trends. There was a trend, you know, this actually might be going on two years now, but 
uh, there was a trend called nature cereal and it was a bowl of coconut water with berries in it, ice cubes. And, um, you know, I don't know if that that's still a a popular consumption idea, but it was for a a time on TikTok. And so getting together uh, a, a brand collaboration and just going big on Instacart was a lot of fun. Um, and, and you can do things like that uh, with a much quicker turnaround than you could do anything in store. Wow. Well, oh, go ahead, Danielle. <laughs> no, no, I didn't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I guess this was the first question I asked, but just hearing you, you all mention things, things that granular, that targeted, Again, I think about, my goodness, how on earth do you prioritize how granular do we want to go in, whether it's certain retailers, I can definitely see the appeal listening to some of that on working with third parties, which maybe show up across a number of different retailers or touch points, not even what we would necessarily think about as retail. Like Danielle, you mentioned the gas station example. And I thought on a little bit broader level too, Obviously, the marketing budget encompasses a whole lot more than than just this set of opportunities that we're talking about today. How how do you see sort of the role of of retail media networks in the overall marketing budget? Does that change moving forward as as retailers get a little more organized around this, or or what's your outlook on that? Hmm, that's a great question. <laughs> it, it is a good question. I would say that it, it has already, I think, changed the way we um, internally resource and respond to the opportunity. Um, I, you know, omni-channel marketing didn't exist in that formal structure until 2021, really, as um, you know, COVID was the catalyst for the organization taking a look at what, what do we need to do? How do we need to pivot and respond to the market and the changes that we're seeing? And so omni-channel marketing was that new function in 2021. And we really structured team members around the path to purchase, pre-purchase, point of purchase, post-purchase, so that we can be responsive to whatever the consumer or the shopper needs, depending on their mindset. So, you know, it'll, Time will tell how resources in terms of of investment and that overall marketing mix changes, but certainly we're looking at it seriously from how people spend their time and how we get organized to meet the opportunity. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think um, we, you know, we're again like reprioritize reorganizing our internal structure as far as what we're dedicating funds to. Um, you know, we used to do a bunch of more displays and and shippers that ship with fruit and and spend a lot of money on on that end, and then has have definitely reallocated some to the digital side. Um, and another thing that you know we were talking about data and how important that is. Now more and more retailers are are owning their own data. So while we might use Nielsen or IRI or some third-party data that way, now we need to purchase, you know, their specific consumer data as well. So that's also taking a toll on the marketing budget from our perspective as well. I'm wondering, Diane, you mentioned earlier the idea of some sort of adjusted price listing for some of these opportunities for produce, because yeah, there's not the Pepsi budget 
right? For, for <laughs> I don't think any produce grower, probably. Um, and I'm wondering some of the things that you all are, are mentioning between buying data, between some of these different opportunities. I wonder if there's even some sort of special bundle for fresh situation or something that might be doable. Is, is that a, is that a crazy idea? I don't think it's well, crazy not. at all. I haven't come across it yet, but <laughs> maybe you should pitch it. <laughs> we need you as our advocate, Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been trying. I was talking with somebody about this just the other day as we were walking around in stores. Like, you know, given, given what fresh means to the overall store, it sure would be nice to make it accessible for these folks to be able to play here, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I think the key for us, and I honestly, Diane, I apologize. You'll have to fill me in on the berry category because I, I have, I'm focused on cherries, pears, and apples. But for us, just, um, you know, increasing consumption. We have been pretty, the United States for apples, I, I don't know if it's like that in the whole, it's all produce, but for apples, it's just pretty stagnant. They're not, you're not getting people to eat more apples. They're still buying them. They're moving. Um, you know, it's not like they're not purchasing apples, but how do we get people to meet more apples and finding that usage and then, you know, designating funds to driving that. Um, it's been, it's been really hard to, d to decide what, what drives consumption and how can we increase consumption? So, um, you know, just food for thought on that, I guess I, I, when, when we're trying to decide what activities we're going to do, um, it's great for the short term, but how can we, you know, drive consumption as a whole? Is it partnering with influencers? Is it going B to C when we've been B to B focused for so long? But if we go B to C and then the consumers can't find our product on the shelf, um, are we really moving the needle? It's, just, it, it's a, a definite rabbit hole that we find ourselves going down repeatedly year after year. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I wonder too, as as you mentioned, Danielle and and Diane, you've talked about this a little bit too. On the the ROI side, it seems like that's that's one thing for for these these digital opportunities. Is it sounds like it's a lot easier to have an a better idea of that ROI than some of the traditional in store things where the execution part of it is out of your control most of the time, practically speaking. <laughs> and so I think that's another question on sort of the budget allocation in store activities or 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 resources, bins, those sorts of things versus digital. I'm curious if you all you know, what would forecast sort of the industry moving more into that digital space with marketing dollars, just because you've got a better idea of your, what you're getting for your money. Yeah, that, that yeah. question, it, it's such a, a tough balance to strike because, you know, lion's share of the purchase is still happening in store. So you, you don't want to move away from that, you know, really the biggest opportunity to drive impulse and to get in front of the shopper. Um, I, I don't see brands ever, ever moving away from that so long as, as the majority of sales happens in brick and mortar. But on the other hand, it is super enticing to have uh, granular data to work with, to know, you know, any little change I make in creative or any tactical difference, 
um, that we're deploying? How is that impacting the ROI or impacting household penetration? That that data and that knowledge is is really important. And I think marketers gravitate toward that. We want to know our report card, right? We want to know how we did at the end of the day. So it's it's going to be a tough balance. And I don't think um, it's it's something that you can have perfect, um, but but making sure that you're reaching shoppers across uh, all touch points, you know, whenever, wherever they're going to be engaging with the, the produce department. Anything you would add on that, Danielle? No, I think she hit the nail on the head, 100%. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's definitely a, a work in progress, progress a, a learning curve. Um, I don't think any of us are ready to stop the tried and true things, but then, you know, we all want to try the new stuff too. So, no, I think she worded it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Well, and thinking about in-store too and you, and not wanting to abandon any any of those channels while still trying out the new things. I'm curious if you all have seen in some of this data that comes back from some of these digital opportunities, insights that either then you can go back to your retail partners and say, hey, we found that in the basket, X and Y and Z, or we found that this color combination is better. So can we update our, our shelf talkers for you or you know whatever that might be? Um, any any insights like that, that that you guys have seen come up that you didn't necessarily expect? Yeah, I oh go ahead, Diane. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I was gonna say I don't know what your experience is. A lot of it it takes a bit for us to get um, the reports back from when when we work with retailers directly. You know, again, I think it, it, a lot comes down to that that non closing of the loop. Um, you know, we were working directly with the marketing department. Maybe they sent it to the buyer. Maybe the buyer didn't send it on, or maybe, you know, they're on to the next thing. Um, so there is quite a bit of um, prodding with some of our retail partners at making sure we get those reports back and, and making sure um, that we can actually vet through those activities and make sure that the spend, what our favorite word or thing is here, you know, the, the juice was worth the squeeze. Um, and then going back to our growers and, and letting them know, you know, this is what we learned with this activity. Um, these are the pros, these are the cons. And then when we, if there is an opportunity to go back to the retailer with, with the suggestion, um, we definitely do that. Um, but like I said, sometimes it's six months after the activity, after the fact, and, um, we're already on to the next thing. So and it's challenging. But, um, but yeah, that we definitely have those opportunities. I would say, um, so for Driscoll's, we've, we've, you know, over the years in, in uh, delivering against the brand promise of only the finest berries, earned the trust and the loyalty of, of our consumers. And, um, and, and that really pays off in an in-store environment where um, consumers are, are very loyal, they're willing to pay a, a premium for Driscoll's and that branded experience. And so um, one of the insights we've had in collaborating with, with the, the team at Instacart is understanding the impact of brand in an online environment um, and, and you know the absence of brand in an online environment. And so what we're seeing is 
um, you know, there's there's much higher conversion um, when there is that branded experience online in, in our category. Um, because of what Danielle mentioned earlier, consumers, shoppers are not able to inspect their own produce. They're not able to select, you know, the the clamshell in our case that they they want to take. And so for them, brand is shorthand in, in that digital uh, environment. And so the insight really has been, oh, gosh, there's there's a huge opportunity here for more sales in our category. Um, but the, the missing ingredient sometimes is brand because retailers, I think they really struggle in, in um, uh, finding ways to ha- uh, express brand if there's um, multiple suppliers. And so they're treating produce in many respects as a, a commodity mm-hmm. um, when, you know, and, and for berries, it's it's not a commodity. We, we offer a differentiated product. And so um, working with the insights there and the opportunity and, and the, um, the sales that they could be um, capitalizing on is, is an insight where, you know, we're, we're chipping away at it. We have a lot of those conversations with our, our retailers. Mm-hmm. That's a great point about the the aspect of brand because I I know when I shop online if they've they they just have a picture of generic yeah not necessarily berries but apples or potatoes or whatever it is grapes is a huge one right where it's like man if there's if there's nothing I'm not seeing anything but green grapes or red grapes or <laughs> you know how, how do I know and what variety is it yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know if I mean I know our our products are a bit different, Diane. But um, you know we've got we're fighting or not fighting. We're we're able to sell bulk, obviously, and then we have our private pouch bags or poly bags or you know name your packaging, um, and then we have all of the private label stuff too. And um, one of the things that we do on Instacart is having to go in and make sure that all of the photos that they have of our varieties or of our brands are up to date. Um, it's a task and whatever the retailer chooses to upload for that photo. So, you know, here is, I'll say an envy apple, but it's a picture of a red delicious, like going in and making sure that yeah. because we don't have we don't always have the packaging. It's just like a picture of an apple. And what does that apple look like? And the consumer is not necessarily getting what they thought they were ordering. Um, this doesn't look like the apple that I saw online, but it's the same variety. And, and just, yeah, it's, it's definitely, as these things keep coming up, it's more and more to keep up with and, you know, more, more time out of our day and, and more resources are needed essentially. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Danielle, because that's probably a good thing for for produce broadly to be talking about too. Is where are the resources required for this activity? Is it all on the supplier side, like you were talking about, where you're literally going in and managing the the images in, in that particular example, or what what are the opportunities? I guess if if people are thinking, I need to take better advantage of this space, what should they expect internally? <laughs> to be to be ready to tackle versus what might the retailer handle on on their end I mean we they norm, generally ask us for all of the creative if it's a co-branded thing if it's their private label if they want to do something um, targeted to consumers that includes their logo or their website or what page we're driving them to if it's an online shopper um, you know they have the final st- 
the, the final say, but a lot of the time, um, you know, we're sending the content, which is what we love to do. We're able to take all the content that we're creating here and just push it out for them to use, which, you know, is, is, is perfect. It's a win-win. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say we're doing extra work when it comes to working with retailers in, in their media channels. Um, but we're able to, I guess, more widely spread the work that we are doing or the content that we are building through, through their channels and, and how they want to speak to their consumers. Um, it's fun. I don't, yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And anything you'd add on that, Diane? Well, so I would say um, at, at Driscoll's, um, you know, our mission is to delight berry consumers through alignment of, of our customers and our berry growers. And that's the same mission. It's the same North Star, whether you're in production or whether you're you're in the marketing department like I am. So I'm always thinking, you know, how can I advance our, our mission to delight berry consumers with what I'm working with in this online environment? Um, and so it is it is extra work, but it is an opportunity to, you know, delight a consumer with whether it's just being showing up and, and being consistent or being convenient, you know, tactics like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to invest in in search or sponsored products because I want you to be able to encounter my brand easily without having to, to go flip through many pages of results. Um, it's it's I think aligning our, our tactical mix with um, with our, our company vision has been very helpful um, and yeah, it, it is extra work. It's extra resources, but I think it's an opportunity for um, for for brands to um, to compete. Not hopefully not against each other, but with <laughs> with some of the other options that consumers are faced with um, in in center store. Yeah. When you mention other other departments or outside produce, Diane. It makes me think of now. I'm sure these are expensive keywords, but things like snacks and sweet, yeah. you know, all these, all these different things. It's like, man, produce fits that description. It's not just exactly. the ice cream, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh man. Oh, I wanted to follow up, Danielle, on what you mentioned about the reporting. I'm. I'm guessing that may be something where it's a variety of experiences based on the retailer and the resources that they have on on their end to to report on on the metrics how different projects perform those sorts of things what do you all anticipate on how that may change as it looks like this is becoming a bit more organized space with the launching of all these retail media networks Yeah, I think for for us, um, it's, you know, I think I, I keep using the word learning curve, but it definitely has been that because produce is, is so new to this area. Um, you know, it's it has not even been that long since we've been able to use bulk products. We could only use packaged products with UPCs for online shopping for a really long time. Um, and, and as everybody's learning and understanding kind of the little caveats within the produce um, department versus, you know, what they're used to. I think it's getting better. Um, and I do, I do feel like the reporting is getting better. And um, I, 
I think, it, like I said, it was just a learning curve. Things, um, to Diane's point, they just catapulted during COVID and um, everybody's like, oh, okay, now we're doing this now. We're going back to packaging. We were trying to get away from plastic in store. We're trying to get away from, um, you know, all of the different ways to recycle and, oh, it's just too much to handle. So we're going to try to go, everybody wants to go back to bulk or they want to have like a different kind of packaging. So we're working on that. And then everything just totally shifted in 2020. And and now we're going kind of in the opposite direction. And everybody, I think for the most part, we're all kind of caught up and, and we're rolling with the punches and, and um, you know, with inflation now, things are, the buy, buying practices of consumers are changing even more. So how can we, you know, how can we cater to that? Um, it's never going to be, oh, this is easy. And if it were, <laughs> we wouldn't be here. We, you know, like we do what we do because we love it. And um, yeah, I think things are ever changing. And, and I do think the reporting side is getting better, um, easier to understand. You know, if we go back with a specific question, generally speaking, they're able to come right back to us with an answer. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I, I think it's all going to continue to change and I have no idea what's next, but CMI is here for it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we, um, we, we sometimes bring into discussions is just sort of, um, benchmarks of what some RMNs provide us in terms of visibility for certain campaigns, because, you know, I think, um, it's really important for, for suppliers and especially produce suppliers with those limited budgets to know how our, our dollars are working for us. And so I, I think it's an absolutely fair request to ask for, for more um, information on, you know, in the reporting side of things of how, how did we do? How is our investment moving the needle? How can we improve? What should we test next time? Um, and because of that competitive nature of the RMNs and of of these, you know, third-party opportunities, I think they're really open to improving what they provide um, at, at this point. So it sounds like the sort of organization of all these opportunities that some of which have, have been around for a few years, but now are being formalized a little bit more across some of these retailers, it sounds like that may actually be a great thing for fresh produce because when you decide to spend, you're able to ask for a little more in return in terms of making sure that you understand exactly how it did, what you can learn from it, any attendant data that's wrapped up in there and follow up and those sorts of things. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, let's see. We'll, we'll wrap up on sort of a broad one here, thinking again, just on all those headlines on retail media networks, whether it's third-party ones, whether it's, you know, retailers are starting their own, whether you all mentioned there are plenty that aren't attached to a specific retailer, but multiple retailers participate in. There are lots of options out there. I'm curious what, what that movement do you think, what opportunity does that present for produce? Or if it makes things harder for produce, you know, Either, what's kind of, what do you all see on what, what this um, rise of retail media networks means for produce? Diane, do you want to go first? Uh, <laughs> the biggest question. Um, so I, I think that um, as we evolve 
I mentioned it before and I'll mention it again because it is the biggest opportunity for a win-win-win um, is, is having, in our case, is having branded uh, opportunities to for shoppers to find Driscoll's berries. Um, and I think that's probably across the board with, with branded produce is it really does make a difference to the shopper. It really should make a difference to the retailer. And I know it's, it's key to the opportunity to, you know, consistently delight consumers. And so that piece is, is actually going to be a harder thing to solve for than it sounds like. Um, the more we get into those conversations, you know, it's it, there's not an, an obvious solve, but that's for me what I'm hoping the future brings is the ability to be a little bit more seamless between in-store and online. I think the omni-channel shopper expects that. I think it's kind of table stakes for them. They're seeing most of what's on their shopping list. Um, it, there's, it makes no difference whether they go in store on a day or buy it online for delivery or for curbside pickup. It really all should be very consistent, all very seamless. And so the closer we can get to that reality on the produce side um, of, of, you know, delighting and meeting expectations of consumers, regardless of the channel they're shopping on in any given day, I think that for me is, is the opportunity the future holds. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, yeah, just speaking, I guess, more on the consumer side, really just enhancing that shopper experience, making sure that um, they know what they're getting with whatever they're purchasing. And, um, you know, whether it's apples, which could be in a private label or not, they know what they're getting, whether it's in-store, online, it's for pickup, however they're shopping. Um, and then I think another thing I would add is just that ability to increase the strategic partnership side of things, learning our con customers' business, learning the retail business, learning what their consumers are doing and how um, how we can fit in it and how we can make it better and how we can contribute um, to give those shoppers that enhanced experience. Excellent. Well, as you can probably tell, we could talk about this all day. I will <laughs> never run out of questions, but I don't want to keep you past our time. Thank you so much, Danielle, Diane. You guys have been wonderful. I feel so much smarter on this topic already. And so thank you again. So that was my conversation with Diane and Danielle. I love that they brought up data as a key factor in how they evaluate some of these opportunities. Just as retailers always need to be learning more about their shoppers, of course, suppliers need to be learning more about them as well. Figuring out the different contexts in which consumers are buying their products. Now, for more on this same topic, let's take it over to my conversation with Ashley Pigo, e-commerce marketing manager at RPE. So I wanted to start with you. So you're a little bit newer to the produce industry, but this is not a new kind of role for you. You've been an e-commerce marketing manager for a little while. So tell me a little bit about what goes into that role. Yeah, so e-commerce marketing is really, I think it means something different to everybody and really what it all encompasses. Um, I have been in e-commerce e for a number of years, but uh, in this specific role, I've only been here for um, just about two years. So not new to agriculture, but new to produce in this capacity. So in this current role, it really includes 
a myriad of digital marketing efforts like search engine optimization, um, digital shelf excellence, uh, growing our website, growing um, traffic to our website. It's now starting to include blogging and email, consumer facing emails um, and social media and really just growing as um, as our company grows with it. Very neat. And that I think is the the perfect context as we kind of zero in on one specific area amid a bunch of different things that you do, which is kind of participating in some of these shopper facing channels of your retail partners. So, you know, I, I think about everything from their social media accounts to the website and whether it's search on the website or ads on the website, the app, you know, all, all these different things. And I know there's many, many more than, than what I've listed there. Mm-hmm. How do you prioritize which of those to participate in, which retailers to participate in those with? What are some of those factors that go into that process? I think the biggest the biggest factor that we look at is reach. Okay. Um, what what activities are going to reach the the largest number of people? <clears throat> and are those people within our target market? Are they the personas that we've identified that buy our product? Um, We also really like to have a way of measuring the ROI. Um, Even if we can't directly correlate it with sales, I need, you know, we're going to need to know how many people it's reached, how many people engaged with it. um, You know, what, what sort of sales bump we saw with it. So we really just need to know the the details of what goes, you know, what the results of that, um, that campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think, you know, if you've got a, a smaller retailer that really only has like one small part of the country, that's going to kind of play into whether, you know, versus another grocer that has stores across the country. So like I said, reach, if we can reach the most people with it, when you have your products in so many different stores, you can't possibly do everything because there's just too much, there's not enough money, there's not enough time in the day. So you really have to prioritize what's gonna be the biggest bang for your buck. And I'm curious, what are some of the more expensive versus more affordable channels and and opportunities that are out there right now? What's kind of the, the lower, more approachable end of the spectrum to like, ooh, Kraft Heinz is doing this, that'd be fun. I mean, definitely there, there's a lot that goes into search marketing. Um, for instance, Instacart doing, um, sponsored products on Instacart that is, uh, very approachable because you can set your daily budget and you can set your campaign budget and you can scale it to whatever size you need it to be. So that's, that's a really great option to get your product out in front of, your consumers, but be able to scale it to the size that you need. Mm -hmm. And like I was talking about before, Instacart is great at providing all of the the details and the metrics and the data that went into that campaign. So um, I think that's really, that's a really great option. Um, I know there are some, other than Instacart, I know there are some retailers that offer that as well. And I think that's, that's a great way to get your product in front of consumers that are already looking for something similar. So, you know, with produce, we don't see the brand loyalty that we see with other packaged goods. So 
Hidden Valley Ranch, for existent, for for example. So people are going to go to the store and they're going to look exactly for that. But when you're looking at potatoes, they're going to buy whatever potatoes the store has. So when you don't have that level of brand loyalty, it's important to get your product out in front of consumers as much as possible. So it's the first thing they see and it's the first thing they click on and they're more likely to buy it that way. That makes a lot of sense. What a what a great example. And I think super informative for folks who maybe, you know, know these opportunities are out there, but are not exactly sure where to start in this in this huge landscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the age of TikTok made me buy it is is going on right now, where you've got influencers out there that are already using your product and you building recipes and and suggesting different ways to prepare these foods. I think that's really important as well, because it's like, it's coming from a friend. It's coming from someone that they trust and that they know that has good ideas and good recipes. So I think getting in involved with influencers and uh, recipe building and inspiration and kitchen, kitchen inspiration, I think is a huge, huge opportunity for us. That makes sense. Thinking about all the different angles from which you can reach that shopper. For sure. Yeah. And I'm curious too, on sort of participating in in these retailer channels, how have you seen these opportunities evolve in recent years? Because I feel like this is something probably that is rapidly changing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's exploding really, because we all know with the pandemic, online grocery shopping became a way of life, whether it was curbside pickup or delivery to the house, it's still continuing to be a huge convenience factor for a lot of people. So it's not going anywhere. And people are starting to catch on to that and, and, you know, optimize as much as they can towards that audience. So the amount of opportunities has just completely exploded over the last couple of years. It seems like every retailer that we work with now has a formal marketing kit and is sending us, you know, ideas and, um, you know, asking for sponsorship and, and participation in their programs. So just the sheer number of it, um, has, has been huge, but also the sophistication of it a little bit. I think, you know, there's, there's more, targeting available. We can target our customers a little bit more effectively. We can measure a little bit more effectively and we can, uh, you know, there's just more creative ways to get involved. So I think it's definitely um, grown in the way of just sophistication and more targeted marketing. And um, it's really great to see. Very neat. And I'm, you mentioned the, just the types of, of different opportunities. What's the, what's the most interesting kind of new opportunity you've heard about recently? Just what jumps to mind? I think a lot of it stems in social. Okay. Um, Cause I think that's kind of the, the way a lot of, um, a lot of advertisers are moving is into social e-commerce. Um, so, and that, I think that's one area that's really rapidly growing as well. So there's a lot of really creative ways to get involved that way uh, versus just the straight banner ad on a website or, um, you know, the search engine optimization and the sponsored products to, to get you at the top of the search results. I, while I feel like that is one of the most effective ways, 
it's um, pretty basic. Um, so when you're when you start looking at social marketing and influencer marketing, I think that's where you can get really creative and really fun with it and really instill that personality into your brand. And are you seeing how are you seeing retailers leverage that influencer space, if at all? You know, I think within their social channels, they're having cooking classes, they're having, you know, recipe um, inspiration. They're, you know, they're doing a lot of interactive things on their websites, or I'm sorry, in their social channels to create that kitchen inspiration. Um, but as far as, as influences, I really haven't seen a whole lot of that so far, um, but I definitely see it on the horizon. Very neat. And I'm curious too, as, 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 as you use this word, when we were talking before we hit record here, the formalization of some of these opportunities by retailers um, in these recent years, I'm curious what you've seen as far as the ease of engagement and setting some of these things up. Has it become easier or has it become more complex to make these things happen? So much easier. Oh. You know, I've got, I've got some retailers that are coming to me with online platforms that I can just log into and I can set these things up and I can see all of the metrics in real time. Um, and it's just really impressive to see. And some of these are just smaller regional retailers, you, you know, and you would expect that out of a Kroger, but not out of, you know, some of the retailers that I'm seeing. So definitely getting a lot, like I said, a lot more sophisticated and the ease of use um, is getting a lot better as well. Mm -hmm. Very neat. And it sounds like, well, so let me back up, figure out how, how I want to ask this. So one of the things that I've heard about this is when you set these sorts of things up, it's not necessarily your traditional produce buyers that you're working with. You're working with the marketing folks of the mm -hmm. retailer. Mm -hmm. What's been your all's experience in just kind of building those relationships with a different set of, you know, who the company would be talking to, you know, five, 10 years ago? Sure. Uh, it's not easy <laughs> to find those people. You know, we've got our, our account managers that go in and talk to the buyers and the category managers. But for me to figure out who that the right person is to talk to has been difficult. And sometimes they don't want to talk to the suppliers. You know, they've, they've got their own world and they have a lot going on and they just kind of rely on the buyers to manage that relationship. So getting to the right people and making the, the contact information known is a, is a huge deal for me. Well, cause I would imagine, like you said, just like they've kind of got their little own world, uh, the buyers kind of have their own little world too, sure. right? They don't want to be necessarily managing all that stuff either. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like that, that process is, is getting a little easier with, like you said, the the formalization, the organization of some of the, these things that before, you know, you could do, but you might have to talk to six different people who are involved in the website and the social media and all those different things, right? Sure. Yeah, sure. And just like I said, getting to that right person that you can have that conversation with is, is a huge deal as well, because sometimes the buyers just don't know the intricacies of what we're working on. So we need to get to the right person that can speak the language, so mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. And now how do you approach, because obviously there's, there's a lot of different components and you want to be able to tie together, like, Hey, we've got an ad going on this week or that week. We also want to have our sponsored search going or whatever different things are happening. 
how have you found the process of getting all those things to line up correctly? A little like herding cats, (laughs) (laughs) but but you do it, you know, you've got your in-store activities that you need to marry up with your digital activities. And sometimes that's, you know, there's a lot more that goes into the in-store sometimes because you've got to work with printers and display pieces and things like that. So um, it just takes a lot of organization and it takes, um, you know, getting the right people involved. And, um, I don't think it's any more difficult than any other campaign, just because there's always a lot of moving parts to everything. Yeah. So, um, it's, yeah, it's just it, getting everything lined up and ready to go on time and meeting deadlines and yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned earlier retailers being more proactive about sending out those shopper marketing kits and some of those things. I'm curious, I know on the CPG side, there's an expectation to participate in all kinds of these additional paid opportunities. And I'm curious, what have you seen historically as far as whether that's an expectation for produce and how has that maybe changed? See, I don't see it as an expectation. I do definitely think that um, it's a way for us to show our partnership with that retailer and to show that we support them and we support what they're doing and we want to be, we want to be involved in it. But at the end of the day, there's so many of them. And, you know, like I said before, there's only so much money in the budget and there's only so much time of the day and we can't do everything with everyone. So that's where the prioritization comes in, where we have to really determine, is this a wise use of our money or should we be spending it elsewhere? But at the end of the day, we do want to support all of our retailers and support what they're trying to do. So it's it's kind of a catch-22. Well, I'm curious too, as these opportunities grow, and like you said, across a lot of different places, how do you look at, because we, we talked a little bit earlier, you mentioned all the different e-commerce marketing opportunities beyond just the, the retailer channels, how do you see participating in those retail channels growing or changing as part of the budget overall in the coming years? Like what's happening to that share? We're definitely allocating a lot more money to consumer marketing, to reaching that final end consumer. Um, And that's going to include all of these consumer facing activities that we're doing with our retailers. It also includes our social media and it includes a lot of our internal efforts as well, Mm -hmm. but we are shifting instead of, um, you know, some of those in-store activities, which we still do support, but we're realizing that we do need to shift more money into our digital budget. And we're taking a look at our existing activities compared to the new activity, new, more digital activities that we're doing and seeing, well, we're spending this much on this promotion, but we spent half that over here digitally and we saw a bigger ROI. So we're really starting to compare and contrast what we're spending where and determining what what's the best use of our money. And it sounds like it's a lot, sometimes it's a lot more straightforward to get that ROI for some of these newer types of activities versus some of the traditional ones, just because it's, it's a little yeah. easier to draw that line. <laughs> Yes, I always talk about the luxury of working in digital because we have the ability to capture all of that information. You can't, you can't, you can't definitively tell me how many eyes saw the sign in the store, but when you're on the website, you can. 
you can see how many visitors have been there and how many people have interacted with it. Um, so it's so there, there's ways of combining the two, you know, with the in-store signage, you're putting a QR code on it mm -hmm. and you're having people scan it to get more recipes or, you know, different activities like that, where you're kind of marrying the two and having them work together and you can still track, you can still reach that in-store customer and be able to track the, the engagement rate of it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's great to be able to measure all of that. And I know, you know, working um, with, with other companies in the past, being able to measure the ROI of a catalog or a flyer or, you know, anything like that, it's nearly impossible. So it's quite a luxury to be able to provide that type of metrics. And even to be able to go back to my senior management team and say, look at, we, we invested this amount of money and we generated this amount of dollars. And it really justifies the work that we're doing and the money that we're spending and that we're asking for. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned the QR code because I'm really curious just to hear your experience on using those on things that go in store, whether it's on the product packaging itself or like you mentioned, whether on signs, because I've heard people talk recently about how it was so funny how QR codes were dead and then the pandemic mm -hmm. happened, right? And now they're like the it thing Everywhere. again. Yeah. What's been your observation on how effective those are? Incredibly effective. Um, we, yeah. And I, I will eat my words. I was shocked <laughs> when we, <laughs> when we first started talking about it, I was like, you guys, this is never going to work. Uh, it has gone gangbusters and we've seen a lot of engagement with it, putting custom QR codes on packaging that go to custom landing pages and websites where we've got recipes, inspiration, how to cook, um, tips, tricks, things like that. We're seeing huge, huge uh, traffic numbers associated with that QR code. So I'll admit it, I was wrong. <laughs> and luckily it's been very successful. That is awesome. That's great to know because I I know that's a, a continuing challenge opportunity, you know, whatever bucket you want to put it in is to connect some of those omni omni channel, some of those digital channels to the physical in-store right. experience and be able to extend that, that shopper journey and ways to engage in the brand and all those things. Yes. Yes. And once you get them on your website, you can, you can try and keep them as long as you can. You can get them to other areas. You can really kind of set the tone in that journey of what they go on once they get to your website. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Now we've referenced this a little bit throughout our conversation, but when I look at some of the, the grocery trade publications, it seems like all I see anymore is retail media network, retail media network, retail media network, you know, one grocer after another, either launching their own or partnering to launch one, or I'm, I mean, I, honestly, dozens of these headlines this year, I think it's, it's just, I, I cannot get away from it. And I'm thinking, okay, so what does this mean for produce? I know they're kind of designed around CPG spending, but what does this mean for produce? So I'll leave it broad there for you to start with. Um, you want to clarify a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So the, the rise of retail media networks, the organization formalization of some of these opportunities we've been sure. talking about, what kind of opportunity is this for produce? Or is it just a reorganization of what was already there? How do you see it? 
I don't, I think it may just be a reorganization of what was already there. Um, I think, you know, we, we've been very involved with our retailers in the past in many different ways. And now we just have new ways of doing that. Um, so it may, it may mean not doing certain activities that we used to do. And now we're shifting towards these more digital activities, or it could just be in addition to what, what we have been doing. So I don't think it's really anything new. It's just kind of re shifting things and reorganizing how we, how we promote within our retailers. And I'm curious, so you mentioned some of the different opportunities that you all have already been participating in. Are there, are there certain things that you would love to do, but it's like, you know, this is priced for Procter and Gamble, right? Like this is not within reach of a produce. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Always. Yes. There's, if I could just have an always on campaign all year long when it comes to sponsored products and search engine optimization, I would have every single one of our products always promoted that way. Uh, when it comes to mega influencers on social media, when it comes to running ads on Google and, you know, there's, there's so much more that we could do, but we're not Procter and Gamble. (laughs) We're not Barbie. We don't have $150 million marketing budget. (laughs) Oh man. Well, I was just thinking about, you know, specifically with, you know, in these working with specific retailers, I just think of the contribution that Fresh makes to profit. I think of the contribution that Fresh has for store choice. When you're talking about why shoppers pick one store over another Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, you know, in uh, all these different channels through which the retailers reach their shoppers, I think fresh is so important to that impression. And so I just have been really curious to understand, you know, kind of how produce suppliers are are trying to play in that space now. And then, you know, what opportunities might be out there. And like, to me, it behooves retailers to m- make it feasible for produce folks and and fresh food in general to play more in these spaces. So that's why I was asking like any specific projects you're like, "Mm, that would be really cool. We don't have the budget for that, but you know, it'd be good for all of us if that would be possible. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's difficult because I hear from so many of my friends and family, well, I go to this place because they have the best produce, right? We hear that all the time, but I also hear them say, I don't like buying online because I want to pick my own produce. So as a produce supplier, it's difficult to really drive this e-commerce channel when a lot of people are afraid to buy their produce online because they're not sure of the quality that they're going to get. So it's kind of a catch 22. So we, you know, a lot of it is just, um, you know, instilling that confidence in our consumers that they're always going to get a quality product from us, no matter what. Well, and I'm curious too, Ashley, because something that I've heard marketing broadly, right, is even though a lot of times that final purchase is still in store, especially in grocery, the opportunities to influence across the digital part of that journey, even if it ends in the store, right, maybe Mm -hmm. somebody's looking at the website first or they're checking the deals on the app or, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, is that something that can be captured as far as, you know, how 
So if, if I'm looking, if I'm, you know, searching and kind of building my list on the app and I see mm -hmm. RPE at the top of the list when I search potatoes and I don't make my purchase on the app, but I go in the store and RPE is what I pick up off the shelf. Is there a way to capture that? Or are we still kind of, you know, trying to understand fully, you know, what, what that digital influence, how, how that turns into sales? Sure. Sure. And we are seeing a lot of people that build their shopping lists online. And then when they're walking through the store, they're just looking at their phone and going through their list. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to connect that last step of the process. Did they actually buy our potatoes or did they buy a competitor? We don't know that for sure. But if we can get on the list, that's half the battle. And that's oh, what we're trying to do is get in front of the consumer, get on their shopping list, whether they're buying it online or they're taking that list into the store. Um, that's, that's really what the goal is. Awesome. Well, Ashley, anything that came to mind when I mentioned, you know, omni-channel marketing, retail media networks, you know, working through your, uh, the, the channels of, of your retail partners, anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to touch on anything I should have asked that I didn't, that you want to add before we go? No, I don't think so. I think this was pretty all encompassing. I think, um, you know, like I said, this is a, 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 a channel that is growing very rapidly. It's, it's getting a lot more sophisticated and it's getting a lot more broad in the way that we can, um, work with our retailers. And, um, you know, I think this is, it's only going to keep going and keep getting, you know, more involved and more, more, um, effective as we start learning you know, now we're, now we've got some case studies and we can look back and say, well, this produce supplier did this and it worked really well for them. So now that we can go to those retailers and say, well, who, who have you worked on this with before and what were the results of that? So being able to have that is really important too. Maybe I didn't mention that earlier, but case studies of, yeah, we've done this before and it worked really great. And sometimes we need to go to those retailers and say, well, what, what do you think we should do? You know, I have my ideas of what's worked in the past, but what do you think based on our product category, what, what do you think would be the best use of our money? So being able to provide those recommendations and being able to have some data to back it up of how it's worked in the past, I think is really important as well. And it sounds like you must be seeing, again, more of that as things have developed here recently than probably you did at even the beginning of your time at RPE, probably. Yes, <laughs> yes very much so. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time today to kind of bring us through this. You provided so many great examples and I think a, a great view on kind of what some of the opportunities are in this space now and where things are going in the future. So that was my conversation with Ashley Pigo, another great discussion on the topic of how produce suppliers participate in the shopper-facing channels of their retail partners and what the rise of retail media networks means for produce. I want to thank Ashley as well as Danielle and Diane one more time for taking the time to give us their perspective, and I want to thank you all for listening. If you're learning from or otherwise enjoying this podcast, I would love to have you rate and review. That support helps me keep this rolling and continue to bring you excellent guests like these three you've heard from today. Thank you one more time, and we will see you next week on the Produce Retail Podcast.